Welcome to the Swedish Innovation Podcast, where we export Swedish unicorness. No buzzwords, just real life stories with Sweden's most innovative thinkers and doers. A podcast made by me, Sandra Bourbon. And me, Sara Hermansson. Today is time to talk to Lika Tornefelt, who is the founder and CEO of Stella Futura. Stella Futura works with energy storage systems and solar power and are trying to enable it in a more easy way for everyone with clever business models. I think we should get started. Let's get Ulrika in here. Hi Ulrika and welcome to Swedish Innovation Podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing fine, Sarah. Thanks for having me here. Yeah, so uh, as I already mentioned in the intro, uh, you are the CEO and founder of Stella Futura. So we definitely need to go into that, how it all started and what happened there and everything. But before that, it would be interesting to know you a bit more as as a person and everything that led onto this. So I was thinking, like, can you take us back? Who were you when you were 10 years old? And uh, what was your favorite thing then? Uh, I grew up in quite a small town, Osby, south of Sweden, uh, with uh, all the safety and and coziness involved with that. And uh, I think I've always been very interested in in nature, mathematics, science. My father was a uh, math teacher. Uh, I've also been very interested in, in... different cultures and people's behavior. My mother was a psychologist, so it can uh, be a reason for that as well. Um, Always very interested in learning new things. Uh, I was one of those uh, ambitious students in school. Um, One of my big interests was singing. So I've been singing in a choir for my whole life. Uh, Quite a lot into sports outside, of course. Um, still have the nature connection there Uh, and quite early I decided that I wanted to become an engineer Um, chemical engineer because I was always eager to understand uh, the world around me and how universe works (laughs) Uh, and I had the privilege to 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 being able to to start such an education. Um, So I studied at uh, Lund Technical University when I ended my years in uh, school in Osby. Um, Studied material science, um, where I also got the interest of sustainability, of course, and the end, ending resources on Earth and how you cleverly could combine materials to create new innovations that could help uh, help us progress on earth without destroying it so i think i've always had uh, a passion for nature and an an, an urge to uh, innovate new stuff that could uh, live in some kind of symbiosis with mother earth hmm. That's um, interesting. And I mean, you say you become an engineer because you were curious about the world and everything. And I think Mm -hmm. also maybe that curiosity helps out when you're an entrepreneur. (laughs) 
than maybe the reason to become an entrepreneur or what what made you had the guts to actually uh, start Stella Futura? You know, thinking back, I would have wished that I have gotten the guts a bit earlier, but I also grew up in a very academic family where entrepreneurship wasn't like the, the normal thing to do. So my first year as a professional, still within sustainability and um, uh, how to do engineering in a good way to preserve nature, that was in big companies like Tetra Pak and Carlsberg and Rangsells working with waste management, etc. So I think my entrepreneurial drive started approximately eight years ago when I took the leap of starting at a more a smaller uh, innovative uh, agile R&D company, uh, Saltex Technologies, that you might know of if you are in the energy industry. And that is also where I got got the like the large interest of energy storage, which is the holy grail for us to solve if we want to transform into green, uh, green energy solutions. So I I learned how to be an entrepreneur there, but I think I've had it in me my whole life without really knowing, uh, because it has come quite natural to me, uh, even though it's a completely different way of of working. Of course, you um, you become much more visible in a smaller company. You really really work for yourself, but for me that has been uh, a true treat. I must say. I, I super enjoyed working at Scania and Carlsberg, etc. But I think I fit better as an entrepreneur and a driver in in a growing business. Mm, I see. But maybe also the, I mean, experience you have. I, I noticed you've been both at Scania, Carlsberg, Tetra Pak, Rangsell. So I think many engineers out there could recognize themselves working at these companies as well. Maybe they are, I would say, good schools that you still have uh, I mean uh, advantages of today even though you don't uh, work there and even though they're very different from maybe entrepreneurial startups yeah of course um, uh, when you when you come into a large structured company especially when you're a new as an engineer uh, it's it's a very good school to learn how do a company work how um even though I worked very much towards the engineering parts and not so much with like financials and and um, compliance and things like that, uh, it's still important, of course, to 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 learn how larger companies um, what kind of modus operandi they have, mm. um, because they the structure and the processes that can also be frustrating in larger companies. You need to have that in smaller companies as well, uh, slightly modified, of course. Um, so you're you're right. All in all, it, it has been a good journey. Uh, so I think it was the right time for me to develop my engineering personality or entrepreneurial personality um, when I turned 38 something. I'm just, I, I see all of these young stars, young entrepreneurial stars that just throw themselves into this adventure. And sometimes I think that would have been fun doing that a bit earlier, but um, I, maybe I have a, a more calmness and a, a more holistic view than they have. So I, I need to take that as, 
as as valuable assets as well, of course. Yeah, I think. And I I think 38 is not really a super high age. And, uh... No, but I'm I'm 46 <laughs> now, Sarah. So <laughs> time flies. Uh... But also, I mean, better late than never. I think there are definitely people who go into retirement and regret they never started that company they wanted to. So very true. Very yes. true. Well, I mean, I get a bit curious though when we talk about it. I mean, what what made you? decide one day to to quit your daytime job and go for your company because that's a step if you go into how to say the the comfort of having an engineering employment it's mm-hmm. pretty cozy you you usually get your salary and unless mm-hmm. there's very big crisis and layoffs you you know day in and day out yeah. it's it's uh, it goes okay so yeah. so what uh, made you decide to get rid of that comfort mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you're true. Working at Scania, for example, a brilliant, cozy company where you can get all the educations you want and you get your salary every month and yeah, etc. But you're also a small piece of the puzzle initially. Of course, uh, there are opportunities to grow there as well. Um, for me, it was uh, frustration and uh, an eagerness to um, be part of the green transformation. As I said, I have been working in smaller uh, clean tech R&D companies and done tremendous journeys with uh, with them. I mean, I was in the um, part of the IPO journey with Saltex, which was extremely valuable and a, a great experience. And we also changed the whole brand from formerly it was called Climate Well, and then we came to Saltex Technologies. So, I mean, those years were so exciting. Uh, but I also see not. There are loads of risk capital pumped into R and D for clean tech, uh, into technologies that might become valuable for uh, for the green transformation uh, someday, or not. And having been an engineer for like twenty years, working in the energy industry and with sustainability. Me and my fellow colleagues, we already knew that we don't have to invent things to death here. There are uh, perfect, perfectly functioning technologies out there. So we need to start the transformation now. So we try to understand what are the bottlenecks really to for this transformation to happen. And as you know, uh, Stella Futura started in Africa, actually. Um, so we wanted to accelerate the green transformation, we wanted to build something that targeted as many SDGs as possible, but doing it in a financially feasible way, not with aid, uh, not with uh, these kind of made up contrib- financial contributions. We wanted to find sustainable business models where we could accelerate the green transformation with validated technology, good technology. So the whole idea with Stella was that uh, creating an engineering team with very, very high skills within energy storage and uh, solar to start with, uh, being able to uh, design, procure and commission the best systems uh, tailor-made for the client segments that we chose. Uh, combining that with 
um, business models that actually works in those more fragile areas of the, the world. So for us, the technology is not the rocket science. I mean, we use validated technology. We try to scrutinize the market to find the best energy storage, um, stationary energy storage solutions fitted for the clients and the regions where we work. And also when it comes to solar, solar is less rocket science um, from a technology perspective, but still. But the real innovation for us is how to build the financial models with PPAs, power purchase agreements, higher purchase agreements, conditional sales agreements, uh, injecting carbon credits or distribution the renewable energy certificates, etc. So you actually create a packet that make, makes it possible for the end client to do the green transformation. So we are a bunch of clever engineers and a bunch of very, very um, skilled business developers. And that combination will accelerate the transformation. Um, then 2019, we also uh, came to Sweden or we uh, started to grow the business here as well, because since we are an engineering team, very skilled in stationary energy storage, and that market started to grow more rapidly in Sweden, say from 2019, we uh, of course understood that we had lots to do here as well. And it's the same thing here. Uh, Technology isn't really the rocket science, uh, because we know technology. We know what kinds of technologies are out there. The rocket science is even up here in Sweden to find proper business models that can uh, grow on this still quite immature market. Because no mm. one wants to pay, no one wants to buy a battery storage upfront. Normally not. It's changing now because there are new revenue streams for for battery storages. But um, mm. so that's um, yeah, that's the journey yeah. more or less. And I think we we should um, go a bit into energy storage in general for our listeners. I mean, I'm a battery nerd, and I think you are too. But for mm. the ones that doesn't really understand, I mean why do we have energy storages and when can they be used and in what situations because mm -hmm. so basically energy storage is a battery or something that can store energy and you could not only have them in cars you could also like plug them into your grid or have them in your house and have them as yep. a source right but mm -hmm. when is the right timing or when when should you have a battery and and when not in, in your grid mm -hmm. situation do you have any concrete examples? Yeah, we started 2019 in Sweden, as I said. And at, at that time, um, it, it was more tricky to um, build a business case around stationary energy storage. I should be clear with, we don't work with uh, um, energy storages in cars, etc. It's only stationary energy storage. And we have also decided to aim for industrial scale. So batteries that you have in your villa is not really our uh, area of business. Uh, in 2020, we started to do uh, several pilot projects in different uh, client segments to prove that energy storage is a good thing. Because what's happening now in Sweden is that uh, everyone knows that we are closing down nuclear power, for example, in the south of Sweden. And in the north of Sweden, we still have uh, the hydropower plants uh, that will give us predictable uh, 
uh, electricity production. But in the south of Sweden, we now suffer in what we call electricity area three and four. We suffer from um, capacity issues, which means that when we are closing down the nuclear power plants here in the south of Sweden, we are limiting the predictable electricity production here. So we, of course, want to bring in more solar and wind into our energy mix, which is a super good thing, I think. But that also puts demands on our grid in a completely different way than before. So uh, in the national grid, we need to have 50 hertz as a frequency. Otherwise, and it can't fluctuate much from that because then we get issues with um, uh, with keeping our computers running, with lightning, everything that we have in our home and in our industry demands 50 hertz. And when we have unpredictable electricity supply, like solar and wind, uh, we uh, lack something called in Swedish svängmassa. Now, I don't remember the English word, mm. but that creates frequency fluctuations in the grid and to uh, balance those up battery storage is perfect because battery storage is placed a little bit here and a little bit there in the grid or even in your house or in your industry can be made available for the grid as yeah a kind of a pacemaker mm. Uh, so that is like the origin of the growing need of battery storage, I would say. So if you are, let's say, a farmer um, and you have a specific need of power and electricity, um, many farmers now have put up solar on their roofs, for, the, for example, because the electricity prices have, have started to rise. Uh, if they, for example, get a battery, uh, they can increase the self-consumption in their solar uh, uh, installation because they can, of course, when they have overconsumption of electricity from the solar, they can also charge their batteries and utilize that when they don't have full, full production of electricity. But uh, they can also manage if they have peak powers popping up during the day, for example, when they start to run their milking machines or whatever. And that will become even more interesting next year because uh, having power peaks will become even more expensive next year. So if you then have a battery that can cut those peaks off, you will do quite immense savings. The third thing uh, emanates from what I just described with the grid. If you have a battery at home, you can make it, qualify it and make it available for the national grid having it as a service and actually sell your battery asset to Svenska Kraftnät. So you don't only save on your electricity and power bills, you can also create revenues from your battery. And those markets wasn't in place, not even last year. So the economic incentives for actually owning your own battery and having it at home or in your industry has grown rapidly this year. Mm. Um, so like the modern farmer in a few years, will they both produce like, I don't know, milk, wheat and electricity then? Like they both sell the diaries and electricity to the rest of the population or what do you think? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we call it the, the future farmers here at Stella. We have uh, started to work with, with farmers as one uh, chosen client segment. And precisely as you say, they, uh, they can uh, provide power as well. And I mean, if you are a farmer with lots of land that you want to um, uh, pause from agriculture and, you know, this dialogue ongoing in Sweden uh, on um, utilizing uh, agricultural land for solar. I mean, you can do that in a clever way, of course, but that's a long, long discussion. But uh, becoming a solar farmer is absolutely something that we also see with, with the ones that we work with. And actually also they are starting to become much more interested in um, investing in larger battery uh, packs, uh, larger than they actually need because they, they have room for it and they see um, a possibility to get revenue from from their batteries that they mm. have anyway due to um, their solar installations. Mm. But that so is both, one example. Uh, mm. It's interesting. So if we continue with the farmer example, it's both mm. a cost saving just in terms mm. of uh, cutting peak power and utilizing maybe your solar power if you have that even more. Mm. But then it's also a revenue stream if you like connect to the actual grid. But I'm thinking also it's a big upfront cost, at least from my experience, energy storages and batteries are still pretty expensive. And I know farmers are probably not the one who makes the most money right now. So yeah. so how have you solved that problem? Because it sounded like you were thinking about the business model as well and how mm -hmm. to make it affordable. Um, yeah, I believe a lot in uh, revenue share models. So... Um, as a farmer, as you say, you might have quite quite a lot on your balance sheet already. You have uh, uh, you need to buy expensive equipment, etc., to your um, to your facilities. Um, we have solved that at Stella by being able to offer leasing of batteries, and in a leasing model, uh, the farmer will pay. Uh, nothing up front they will rather pay a leasing cost every month for the battery and depending how much of the leasing cost they want to take etc they can also gain from the revenue created in the battery um, of course if if we take a higher part of the cost of the battery we will also take a higher part of the revenue created but there are there are ways to uh, to build those models quite cleverly we are also introducing now battery as a service where uh, we can actually just approach end clients, farmers or uh, real estate owners or whomever and say that uh, you will be exposed to very high power costs next year because they're going to start with these 50 minutes readings on power instead of hourly readings, which will render in that many uh, industries and uh, and clients will have an increased power tariff. So if you don't want to uh, be exposed to that, we can just put a battery on your site and we lower your uh, electricity bill monthly by 18% and you don't have to care about it anymore. Then of course we will take like the revenue streams uh, when we work towards the grid. And we will also take 
a bit more from uh, the peak shaving, for example. So there are different ways of offering this service to end clients depending on their prerequisites. If you are a farmer or an industry that has money and are not affected by having batteries on your balance sheet, the most clever thing to do, I think, is to own it yourself and take all the revenue yourself. Mm. But we need to be able to offer different models, of course. Mm, I see. But I guess also, I mean, it, it's a bit similar when it comes to electric vehicles that people are also mm. afraid about, but what is the car worth after three, four years? And they rather do a leasing module. They know it's not as economically beneficial. They might not afford to pay it up front, but also if they would buy the car, how do they know the value is there after three years? Because the battery technology is going so fast i don't know what what how is it with energy storage business like do you dare to buy a battery do they degrade quickly how how are you sure it's going to function after a couple of years that's one of the keys that we uh, that's in our dna and stella we don't we don't bet on unsecure technology we have uh, on purpose, of course, chosen technology that we have seen worked for several years. And we, we also have close dialogues with the suppliers that we work with on degradation. And, and as it looks right now, they degrade less than they say in the warranty conditions. But uh, re the residual value for batteries is um, an interesting topic because we were... Uh, we approached one of the largest banks in Sweden three years ago and said that we would like to create a leasing offer for battery storage. And they said, no, can't be done. We have no idea about the residual value. How, how should we value that? And we said, but if we put wheels on the battery storage, it's actually an electrical vehicle. And you do <laughs> lease out Teslas, right? And these batteries have much higher quality for the simple reason that they are designed to last for 20 years. So the residual value, I mean, if you lease out a battery for three years and you cycle it once a day, uh, after that leasing period, the battery will function according to warranties for another 15 years. But the value has only decreased with with this but so we can sell it again you know we had that <laughs> long dialogue with them <laughs> but as usual banks don't take risks of course so they needed the market to mature a bit more but that also why why we got tired in the end so we when we brought in an investor now two weeks ago one of the uh, important like demands we had was we don't only want you to invest in our company we want us to build the business together so we want to capitalize a leasing company where we get access to uh, the press release isn't out yet so we get access to quite quite a lot of money to build the leasing and battery as a service business mm. and i think the market has come that far now that it's more easy to discuss residual values of batteries and you shouldn't forget that we have a very interesting market in in uh, africa that are sensitive to high costs, of course. And if you are able to funnel uh, already 
leased out batteries to that market for a, a cheaper price, you can start building models for them as well and introduce more high quality batteries in that market and skip the other crap that is flying around in that mm. market. Yeah, because that's been uh, an episode we had previously with uh, William Barry at um, Kling Systems, who works with mm-hmm. uh, the whole circular economy and and moving around mm-hmm. batteries before you actually recycle them. So that would be interesting to hear. So is the plan then you could use battery for one customer for a few years and then you could move it to the next one? Or, or how is your loop looking? Yeah, that's, that's the idea. I mean... Um... I, I think we need to create that kind of um, uh, loop for batteries. Um, but super important then is also that we're able to monitor the health, the state of health of batteries. I mean, we talk a lot about um, second life batteries now. I would say um, leasing out a full battery system to one client and then shift to another that is also second life but more controlled second life utilization of batteries um so i think that is very important to create that kind of market understanding uh, and um, educate people that this is completely functional batteries even though they have been utilized for two or four years before Uh, and I do think it's interesting the thought to also approach more cost sensitive markets with um, already leased batteries Mm -hmm. Um, and I was actually talking to uh, um, a colleague of yours at Northvolt about your new recycling plant that you're building uh, up in the north of Sweden that is also a very, very important step because um, not only creating a circular market for the batteries, but also teaching uh, clients about what we do with the batteries when they are at the end of life. Because uh, if we want the battery market commonly to grow, I face that more and more often now. Uh, and clients are worried about can you recycle these batteries? Uh, do, do you take the minerals from from proper uh, working conditions, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. And as I mentioned in the beginning, Stella is uh, targeting SDGs as much as possible. So that is also a very important aspect for us. And we need to go into a bit why Africa, because I know many Swedish entrepreneurs. Maybe they start as Sweden as a home market or Europe. But I see very few starting with Africa as a market. So mm-hmm. it would be interesting to know, like, where did that come from? Uh, different serendipities, I would say. Um, I have a, a passion of uh, creating change. And, of course, the logic is then start where you can create the most change, both when it comes to energy transformation, societal transformation. Um, uh, We talk a lot about gender impact. I mean, Africa is the perfect place to start them. But I'm not so naive either, so I would just throw myself into a new continent thinking, hey, let's do some change here. Uh, I had uh, the, the great fortune of meeting 
several very good uh, people in Africa, Ghana specifically, and we had the same idea about making change, starting with energy transformation. Um, so we, I, like created the idea, and then I discussed with them: Is this even feasible to do something like this, um, combining? engineering and African entrepreneur and engineership, um, targeting uh, hospitals, which was where we started, um, t t removing diesel gensets, introducing good technology, uh, employing people locally, starting to work with the Women on the Roof initiative that we are running, where we are certifying uh, women to become solar installers and solarpreneurs, as we call it. So I think we were much more idealistic in the core when we started. And we have kept that, even though we have come into the more industrial battery <laughs> deals here in Sweden. But that that was the, the, the idea from start. Mm -hmm. Where can we do as much impact as possible and prove that we can do it in a financial viable way without aid to build local economy and local infrastructure? Mm. And, Interesting. Uh, and business-wise, yeah. does it pay off? Because I'm thinking many, when you describe these stories, they're so nice, but some people might say, oh, it's charity. But mm -hmm. it sounds to me like you don't give away stuff, right? No, it's not about charity at all. Uh, we are building... a sustainable profitable business in uh, west africa and we have also started to uh, enter somalia we already have one installation there it's on the complete other side of the, of the continent but uh, that country is also a good place to start in the east of africa so we have a hub there as well of course when you build a company and you grow a company you're not profitable from start but uh, we aim to become uh, fully profitable in the group next year and considering we started 2019 I think that's quite good um, and um, of course when we build the business models in Africa which is most often PPAs power purchase agreements or higher purchase agreements uh, in some cases, when we work with more uh, sensitive end clients, we need to inject some grants in the initial stages to get it going, because it's also about uh, convincing the market there that it's a good thing to, to do this transformation. But absolutely no aid. It's um, carbon credits, renewable energy certificates combined with... Um, uh, impact funds and also going into those countries I mean uh, many Swedish businesses is talking about is a bit difficult sometimes with corruption and violence and those type of problems that we don't have as much of in Europe uh, is mm -hmm. it like that and I'm thinking also it's pretty brave you quit your comfortable daytime job and you started to go for your own thing and you started to do it in a part of the world that is a bit more corrupt and uh, violent. Mm. I hear that a lot. That is insanely brave, what you have done. Uh, strangely enough, I don't experience it like that because it came like naturally. It, it, I, you know, it's nothing like 
happened overnight. It was a process. And um, processes normally take you in a comfortable way from one place to the other. So um, I, I think the strive and the motivation by far overshadowed the fear and the risks. And I think if you have that mindset as well and liaise with the right people that you trust, um, the, the chances to succeed are larger than the risks to fail. Um, so I don't see myself as super brave at all. Uh, but um, maybe, maybe it was brave. It turned out good, so that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and and course, in you know, Africa, do you have a lot of local employees? How many are you at Stella Futura, and how how big a, a share of the employees are based in Africa? Uh, we are fifteen in the team in Accra now, in the capital of Ghana, and uh, we have a partner hub a partner hub in Somalia. So the idea is that we start. We have our base in Ghana. And that's a good base in West Africa because Ghana is like it's has is one of the less corrupt countries in Africa, and they have had democracy since 1992. They have a large portion of quite like powerful women. They are good at at um, uh, gender policies in Ghana, uh, relatively. If you look at at other countries. Um, I wouldn't have started in Nigeria, for example. It's a much more difficult landscape to navigate in. But having the Ghanaian base, we also now work into Nigeria. But then we work with local project developers and they find the, like the end clients and have the local connections and know how to navigate in that market. And we do the energy designs, the procurement and the commissioning, and then the local partner get the O&M contract over the contract period. And that's the same way we work in Somalia. So we have found a feasible way to to work. Uh, corruption, yes, there is corruption. We have been exposed to that a couple of times, but then we have turned around and said, no, thank mm. you. And sometimes it has happened quite far along in the projects, of course, because that is normally something that pops up in the last minute before they are signing. So that has also been like a challenge to just face that, okay, we have done all this work, but we can't continue. Uh, and I think also that is a way of leading the way that when you work with us, we can deliver top quality solutions and good service, but we won't do it on those conditions. That's also a way to change the market slowly, but still. Um, yeah. And now, I mean, we have a very well-functioning organization set up after these three years. And um, uh, we collaborate a lot between the engineering teams as well. And we have mm -hmm. done a lot of knowledge transfer to the local team as well when it comes to energy storage, because they have always been very skilled in solar, but energy storage is a bit new for them. So, um, yeah, it mm. works fine. Yeah, very inspiring. Because uh, I don't know a lot about the markets in, in Africa, and I feel it's a how to say black area of my knowledge. Mm -hmm. So it was mm -hmm. interesting to hear. What is the typical customer down in Africa? If we talked about the Swedish farmer, is it an African farmer, or who's the typical customer there? Uh, 
uh, could be. Uh, I would say the sizes of projects are... The, the difference to start with is that in Sweden and then in the Nordic market, we focus completely on being like the energy storage uh, supplier. We do the project development of energy storage projects. We do the sizing, we do the procurement, we do the installation and commissioning, etc. In Africa, we are more of um, companiet. We do uh, mostly solar installations and sometimes we add storage but the market there is still a bit sensitive to the cost that comes with storage it's a bit difficult to build that into the ppas in a way that makes it work if you're not in somalia because there the diesel prices are so high so putting a storage there is a win um so um uh, gosh, I forgot the question now. Who is a typical African yeah. customer? Uh, thank you. Uh, hosp- private hospitals, uh, industries, uh, office buildings, real estates. So far, we have focused on uh, industrial clients and hospitals. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's industry scale, precisely yeah. as here. Interesting. And I mean, the the journey you had so far, what would you say is your biggest uh, challenge or fail? Was it any time we're like, okay, this is it now. We have to throw in the towel and give up. Yeah, it was in the beginning, it was very, very difficult to identify what clients uh, that was the lowest hanging fruit because if you want to run a profitable business of course you need to um, work with the the most eager clients and finding the uh, finding the forerunners the early adopters etc and that was difficult in the beginning i would say Um, so always in a new market you spend quite a lot of time on sales cycles, trying to convince clients that they need energy storage, for example, or they need to do the green transformation. And yeah, there were times in 2019, 2020, where I felt like it's taking such a long time. Maybe the market isn't mature enough. When will it be ready? Is it 2022, 2025? At the same in which time, way were they immature? I mean, I I, th- I can think of examples, but can you give uh, us a few examples what indicated that the market was too immature? Um, yeah, we ha- we had a lot of discussions with end clients in um, in uh, Sweden, for example, in 2019, 2020. And they said, yeah, this with battery storage is super interesting. We really want to do this. Blah, 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 blah. And then we, okay, then we, we can do a pre-study here. And we went through everything. And, and But when they were about to put this, the signature on the paper in order, they were, that, that took such a long time in the beginning, which is perfectly normal in a new market, right? But for me, it was very frustrating because I knew if you, if you know your best, dear client, you should really do this now. Because now we're more entering a stage of slight panic out on the market mm. and lack of batteries, etc. Mm. So uh, that was it was a lot of talking and not so much doing, right? 
exactly. Yeah. And and in Africa, when the COVID came, that also created a big hurdle because normally when you write contracts in Africa, they they want you to be there physically and sit down and go through everything. Mm. So that also slowed things down a bit. Um, but did the pandemic make Africa more digital? I mean, is it more accessible now than it was before? Or what's your experience there? Yes and no. Uh, the African market, at least in the countries we work in, is very fragmented. So in, in Ghana, for example, in the south of Ghana, they are much more uh, urban uh, and uh, it's they are much more used to that kind of digital technology. So if you have a, a, a contract discussion with a manager at Vodafone in Accra, of course, it's nothing strange to have that on phone. But if you work with a peri-urban hospital in, up in the north of Ghana, you need to travel there to have those discussions. And the infrastructure, the road infrastructure, etc. in Ghana is quite poor in those areas so then you need to spend like one and a half day to get get to the place and so um and i don't think that has changed uh, in the more urban parts of these countries they have become much more used to uh, digital media but not in the countryside interesting hmm and a final tip for our listeners out there. I mean, if you want to start your own company or you're working in a startup and trying to get things going, what, what's your top tip or top advice going forward? Mm -hmm. uh, start a company with the right people. Uh, of course, goes without saying. Um, it's a lot of work and it's a lot of endurance needed. And... Uh, you need to have that those top achievers with you if you're going to start a new company uh, that really understands what it's all about. Preferably, if you are an engineer like I am, you should have at least one former entrepreneur with you on the journey. Um, consider very carefully when you take in growth capital, both when you do it and with whom. Uh, the first investor you get is very important for you. Uh, it puts like a, a label on your brand and hopefully that investor wants to join, join you for the full trip on, on also the second and third round. Uh, thirdly, it's uh, about timing. That is nothing you can plan. I would say that starting a successful company is about uh, endurance, cleverness, courage, but it's also luck. If you don't have luck with timing and loads of other things, you won't succeed. Uh, but from now on, I mean, we, we are in a phase now where we need to really, really employ new talents. And that is also an interesting journey because we are still not so big yet. So attracting talents, but we are embarking on a fantastic journey we just need to get the message out there in a good way now to attract the talents we we seek both within business development sales and engineering mm -hmm. yeah so if you're interested in joining Stella Futura you can reach out to you then yes. business developers and engineers right yes 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 
we are looking for for people cool well thank you a lot Ulrika Ulrika and I want to be wish you the best of good luck for the future and I really hope you uh, are able to grow fast because I think we mm. need that in the world yes we are in that business thanks a lot for having me Sarah really nice talking to you looking forward to be in touch in a few years and see how mm. it's been then indeed yes Okay. Thank you. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you like what we're doing, remember to subscribe. And if you really like our podcast, don't forget to give us a five-star rating. Remember, innovation is what makes the impossible possible, and it will all start with you.